religion, science, myths and legends all point toward the next evolution in human consciousness. What do the invisible realms hold? Who's telling us and how do they know? We're investigating insights from around the world to answer the question, what does the material world arise out of and where do we go once we've dropped the body? You're about to go interdimensional with Robert Wallace to Undiscovered Spiritual Realities. Welcome to Spiritual Realities. I'm Robert Wallace. So this is our first episode where we are just going straight up podcast. That means you're not going to get a lot of that good old fashioned uh, radio action. Not that any of you listening probably ever heard that because that was a Memphis, Tennessee situation only. But we are back on the scene where we never left. Today we're going to be discussing the Bhagavad Gita in a bit of detail. I think you're going to find something astounding today, so you just need to stay tuned for the whole Christus Christos connection to be uh, uh, recapitulated. And then, gotta get a Gita. Bhagavad Gita, that is, because you've been missing out. We're covering the beginning of the Bhagavad Gita. And uh, there's going to be at least one, if not four, major astonishing revelations I will reveal to you that you have to hear at this recording. Absolutely. Meditation also as a means of transcending this physical dimension uh, to that land of first causes. So if you are a meditator seeking to enter into interdimensional states of conscious awareness, then you just need to stay tuned because I'm going to show you, or rather tell you, how that you also might break through and in the most simple language i possibly can and this is coming from yes personal experience this is a daily experience for me that you also can have i promise you this is what it's all about sharing the good news of interdimensional realities so stay tuned all that ahead boom and we're back we never went anywhere Today, as promised, I got a transformational verse for you. And it's really had a a strong impact on me this week in particular. So I want to share the fruits of a a newly excavated uh, harvest. Uh, I was reading back over the Bhagavad Gita, an old favorite, family classic favorite. And Arjuna, who is the uh, lead uh, protagonist in the story, is uh, in a chariot with Krishna, who is the Lord and the All-Wise One, and he's lamenting because he's on a battlefield, Arjuna is, and he's prepared for battle. He's a warrior, and the people he's battling are his family and people that he knows, and so he's very sorrowful for these people that he must now battle and ultimately put to death or be put to death will mean that he has to continue to live if this were to be in uh, the aftermath of that. So how can he go on? How can he bear to kill them? He'd rather die himself than to do this. Well, Krishna says, no such luck. You're a warrior, Arjuna, and you're talking like a coward. You need to understand what the true realities of life is all about. You need to understand a little bit about spiritual realities. Where you come from, where you're going, where you've always been, where we can't escape. This is what Krishna says to him, and it's very impactful. He says, 
Thou grievest where no grief should be. Thou speakest words lacking wisdom. For the wise in heart mourn not for those that live, nor those that die. Nor I, nor thou, nor any one of these ever was not, nor ever will not be, forever and ever afterward. All that doth live, lives always. To man's frame, as there come infancy and youth and age, so come there raisings up and layings down of other and of other life abodes, which the wise know and fear not. This that irks thy sense life, thrilling to the elements, bringing thee heat and cold, sorrows and joys. Tis brief immutable. Bear with it, prince, as the wise bear, the soul which is not moved, the soul that with a strong and constant calm, this is key, takes sorrow and takes joy indifferently, lives in the life undying. That which is can never cease to be, and that which is not will not exist. So, before I continue, whew, I have a little friend in there. Uh, he's saying right here that life is going to bring hot and cold joys and sorrows. And this these dichotomies are part of the life of physical existence, of having a body. But he says that the wise are not mourning for the living or the dead because they understand that life is eternal, that it is unborn, that it is undying. And as he will go on to say, I will let him say it. But bear this in mind, because this brings much comfort. Life and death is what everybody's concerned with. You want to live? You want quality of life? You're suffering? What's the meaning of that? Is there an escape? Is there a recourse? To, is it, will we be healed? Yeah. We need to know these things because it brings us confidence. Saying that which is can never cease to be and that which is not will not exist. A quote from The Course in Miracles comes to mind. That which is real cannot be attacked. That which is unreal never exists. Continuing. To see this truth of both is theirs who part essence from accident, substance from shadow. Indestructible learn thou the life is spreading life through all. So now he's explaining to him basically what he just said. If you can separate what really is from what it appears to be, you can maintain uh, equanimity of mind. You won't get confused with the byproduct of what is real. So this is so inspirational if you're taking it in because it reinforces the fact that you have nothing to fear except fear itself and the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It cannot anywhere, by any means, by any wise, uh, be any wise diminished, stayed, or changed. But for these fleeting frames, which it informs with spirit deathless, endless, infinite, they perish. Let them perish, prince, and fight. 
He who shall say, Lo, I have slain a man. He shall think, Lo, I am slain. Those both know not. So you're worried about having killed this guy. You can't kill him. And you're worried about being killed. You cannot be killed. This is an illusion. An illusion which can only come about through a misapprehension of what true life is. So this is key. Then he says, Life cannot slay. Life is not slain. Never the spirit was born. The spirit shall cease to be never. Never was time. Uh, It was not. End and beginning are dreams. Birthless and deathless and changeless, changeless remaineth the spirit forever. That's pretty self-explanatory. These are qualities of the spirit who you really are. The continuity of your consciousness doesn't stop just because you go through a traumatic blacking out event of leaving the body or being born into a body. But the continuity of consciousness that existed between lives and continues through this life continues to continue after this life. And that is really comforting because, as we will soon discover, the body is just an outfit. Death hath not touched it at all. Dead, though, the house of it seems. Seems dead, not dead. Who knoweth it exhausteth us? Self-sustained, immortal, indestructible. Shall such say, I have killed a man, or cause to kill? Nay, but as when one layeth his worn-out robes away, and taking new ones, saith, Though these will I wear today, so putteth by the Spirit lightly its garb of flesh, and passeth to inherit a residence afresh. I say to these... The weapons reach not the life. He says, your sword and stuff are not going to actually hit the life of man. Just just his outfit. Just the body he's wearing for this time. Flame burns it not. Waters cannot overwhelm it. Nor dry winds wither it. Impenetrable, unentered, unassailed, unharmed, untouched, immortal, all arriving, stable, sure, invisible, ineffable by word and thought, uncompassed, ever all itself, thus is the soul declared. How wilt thou then, knowing it so, grieve when thou shouldest not grieve? Don't you know the eternal nature of the spirit is interdimensional? And here you want to take your dimensional things and and poke right through a ghost. Come on now. That's what he's saying. And if you know that, if you really know that, then you know there's no cause for sorrow and grief. He says then, How if thou hearest that the man new dead is, like the man newborn, still living man, one same existent spirit, wilt thou weep? So if you know these things that he's saying, how are you still able to weep? You can't. It takes all the drama out of the death. It takes all of the finality out of the ending. Because it's not an ending. You know, it's one thing if somebody goes to a far off country and we don't know where they're going. It's another thing uh, if, we, if they're going to work and they're coming back. 
Well, we think that when people go off to that far-off country, yeah, compared to this life, yeah, they're gone for quite a season. But it's but in the scheme of things, in the big picture, they're really just gone off to work. They're taking on these clothes, they're going off, and they'll be back, just as you'll leave for your day of work and you'll be back. Of course, that's a oversimplification, but the thing is, it's just as sure is one's return from work, God willing, okay, for the day, is one's uh, re-embodiment, either in the spirit or back into the flesh. I say re-embodiment, but I mean the reattainment of their spiritual abode. Nothing being lost. How, if thou hearest, uh, we just did that, the end of birth is death, and the end of death is birth. This is ordained and mournest thou, chief of the stalwart arm, for what befalls, which could not otherwise befall? The birth of things comes unperceived. The death comes unperceived. Between them, beings, unperce uh, beings perceived. What is there sorrowful therein, dear prince? Wonderful, wistful to contemplate, difficult, doubtful to speak upon, strange and great for the tongue to relate, mystical hearing for everyone. Nor wouldeth man this, that a, what a marvel it is when seeing and saying and hearing are done. I gotta say, that's the experience I had contemplating this. Now, every world religion is trying to put us in the frame of mind to either receive these truths and or really ultimately enter upon these truths as an experience. Well, right here, this is just the beginning. He's telling you, don't worry about the people who are passing or your own passing. There's no such thing except out of this garb of flesh. This life within all living things, my prince, hides beyond harm. Scorn thou to suffer then for that which cannot suffer. Do thy part, be mindful of thy name, and tremble not. Not better can be tied a martial soul than lawful war. Happy the warrior to whom comes joy of battle, comes as now glorious and fair unsought, opening for him a gateway unto heaven. But if thou shunnest this honorable field, a kushita, whatever, if knowing thy duty and thy task, thou biddest duty and task go by, that shall be said. He's saying, you actually avoiding your responsibilities to do this battle activity is actually a sin. This can be the way into heaven for you. And we're not talking about just, you know, kind of like the superficial understanding that we have of the whole Muslim thing. You know, you go and then you kill the infidel and then you go to heaven and this and that. Well, I mean, in a sense, if you live in the right life and you're doing things according to your duty, and this battle was unsought, he's not going about seeking battle. But he is a warrior, so to do his warrior activity for him is a bit of a joy. This is what he's preparing for. This is where his head's at. So he's come about it through spiritual uh, means, a spiritual intervention. It's, it's a duty-bound thing for him. He needs not to forsake that. And then it says, And those to come, and, and those to come shall speak the infamy, from age to age, but infamy is worse 
for men of noble, noble blood to bear than death. The chiefs upon their battle chariots will deem t'was fear that drove thee from the fray. Of those who held thee mighty sold the scorn, thou must abide, while all thine enemies will scatter bitter speech of thee, to mock the valor which thou hadst. What fate could fall more grievously than this? Either being killed, thou wilt win Swarga's safety, or alive and victor, thou wilt reign an earthly king. Therefore arise, thou son of Kunti, brace thine arm for conflict. Nerve thy heart to meet as things alike to thee, pleasure and pain, profit or ruin, victory or defeat. So minded, gird thee to the fight, for so thou shalt not sin. All right, we're going to put this down for a second because we need to reflect. We need to reflect. What is your battlefield and what are you being called to at this very moment? What are you afraid to do? Because the consequences for one excuse or another are driving you away. Well, look, I'm not going to sit here and bloviate on self-help mumbo jumbo. We need to be focused on the same thing that Arjuna is contemplating right here, which is the matters of life and death. Entering into spiritual realities is a matter of life and death. If you are taking it uh, seriously, if you see the clock and it reminds you that time is a uh, moving, then I encourage you to brace yourself, gird your loins, and pick up a copy of the Bhagavad Gita at your local Barnes & Noble or wherever fine books are sold uh, or whatever your spiritual books are, but read them. I have a lot of spiritual books back behind here. But I notice that they stand and they're glorious, but if I don't read them, I, I'm not I'm not growing through osmosis. It's not until I pick it up and process one page at a time, one paragraph, one sentence, one word at a time that it that it helps. What we really need to focus on is seeking you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things will be added unto you. And this, at least for me, was a very comforting thing because interdimensional realities, man, that's what I was all about. I've had my experiences and then uh, through correlating these other dimensional experiences that have come to me by different ways and means since a child, childhood, and a lot of you have just had visions or dreams. Maybe you've had one thing happen. You've seen a weird phenomena. Maybe nothing, but you seek to have something happen or maybe you've had a lot of them, and, but you can't control it. They just have happened to you. Then you want to take up the conscious pursuing of the kingdom of God. Why is that? Because the kingdom of heaven that's where these dimensions are coming off of. The beings, you know, that you're experiencing, or that you maybe you have experienced potentially, you can enter into that. And if you're saying, I've never had that, that sounds crazy. I don't know if that, if that can happen. Well, if you want it to happen, if you study and you come to a place of faith where you believe it's true enough, where it's worth pursuing, then you can have it happen because there's ways and means for that to happen. And I'm standing here, sitting here testifying right now to that fact and i have a, a laundry list of experiences uh, that i can relate to you and so since there are another episodes i'm going to spare you some of that but i am going to get down to the nitty-gritty and discussing meditation techniques so uh dr rudolf steiner i don't have a picture of him on standby unfortunately here's a little oh wait no we do there's steiner 
Good old boy, Stenner. This is a little booklet. It's just a single lecture out of a larger lecture series. It's called The Second Coming of Christ. And in it, he's discussing a methodology for developing the etheric clairvoyance necessary to experiencing Christ in the etheric. I've just been going through this because this is an experience that I've yet to have. That's not to say I haven't seen a manifestation of Christ, because I could tell you one, but you wouldn't believe it. So I'm not going to say it because it's too controversial right now. But I will relay a story about Krishna, and I think I actually already did tell the story about Krishna, and I think it's irrelevant because we're actually talking about the Bhagavad Gita, though I do believe Krishna and Christ are the same, uh, one and the same beings, though separate manifestations, separated by epochs and, and places and everything, but it's the same spirit. Uh, the Christ being the anointed and the Christus uh, from where Krishna comes from being the all-attractive. So everybody's attracted to him. When you see Krishna, that will make more sense because this is uh, God. So what happened to me was one night I was in a dream vision. A, it turned into a vision, didn't realize it. I had just entered over to my friend's house, don't know who he was, entered into the door and like, uh, well, anyway, he, I, I walk in, I was going to say he was going to relate his voice to that of like Charlie Brown's teacher, womp, 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 but I actually almost distinctly remember hearing it. And he said so-and-so was coming over, and now that I do not know, but I did at that moment, I had this preconceived notion, oh, this person's coming over, oh, my child, I'm going to get going, I didn't like this person, I don't know, it, it wasn't legitimate, but I just had some sort of detestation. And a lot of you may have that feeling when you hear the ideas of of uh, Krishna. You may feel like, oh, I don't want to get involved in that. Or that's just a one more new age off the thing. Well, chances are if you're still listening, you don't feel that way. Uh, but so anyway, I say I'm going to get going before he gets here. So then I open the door. I grab the handle to open the door. And as I'm opening it, there's a knock. And I open it. And there is this man. And he's looking homeless and i am got my prejudices and I'm, uh, I'm, you know, got my own f negative feelings about this person. So I try to be kind and then I'm going to get out of there. Now, looking back, it's hard for me to describe it because my own behavior, my own thoughts and feelings towards this individual are just absolutely detestable and disgusting. And I don't want to truly get into that state of mind to relive those feelings because knowing what I know now, it was wildly inappropriate. But at that time, it just seemed like I got to get out of here. So then this guy walks in and he starts to talk. Now, he starts talking in a, a poetic verse of a very high order, uh, not much different than what we're he hearing here in the Bhagavad Gita. Just the most sublime poetic verse of speech. And within a, I don't know, a few minutes or so, I was, didn't realize that he even stopped talking and he, until he said, well, I guess I'd better be going because I was so enraptured, so deeply hypnotized by what he was saying. And in that moment, as I snapped out of it, this profound sense of loss and separation started to dawn on me that here this man is going a man that i didn't want to see two seconds ago is now god like i'm realizing god in his speech and that's how high and transcendent and and sublime was his speech and i said my god like i i recognized my god in him and then he turned around in all of his filthy garb 
not uncommon scenario where you hear angels and and God beings hidden as uh, homeless people, is it? Here it is again. He turns around and then he comes back and he's Krishna. With the blue skin and the ornate, fine, beautiful garment and smiling. And I'm realizing this is Krishna that I found. Okay. It was amazing. And from that, uh, even though I wasn't, I didn't think I was against Krishna. I thought, well, why should I be against somebody who I know very little about? I thought, if anything, uh, I'm in favor of the idea of Krishna. But I didn't have a spiritual connection with this being at that time. So when I came out of this and I woke up, I was definitely a believer because this is not any dream. This is profound wisdom that I had experienced. And I realized that uh, Krishna is, you know, God. And so uh, a couple of days later, we had a Vedic astrology over at our house to do a puja on our new home. And I told him about this dream. Now, mind you, I didn't even know or realize we were having a Vedic astrologer over to come over and do a puja on the house. Uh, being married to an Indian person, uh, this is customary. This individual had written has written books on astrology and stuff, and so is his dad and everything. So I told him about the dream, and he gave me an interpretation. Um, but for modesty's sake, I'm not going to give that interpretation, except to say that I'm very blessed to have had a dream of Krishna. So now I'm relaying it to you. Uh, take it, take it or leave it. Don't leave it take it um but it isn't until just recently when i'm trying to really contemplate because i could never remember what he said to me because the words were just so lofty uh and they were just so high-minded and my little tiny little pea brain which could process it in the moment could not really retain it okay it's like if you know anything about computers or these these thin clients these computers which will you can turn on and everything you're seeing is streaming in from a server Okay, it can display a lot of information, but it can't retain any of that information. Well, that's what's that's what had happened. My pea brain saw and experienced all this information, but it could not retain it. I didn't have the RAM for that, the random access memory for the uninitiated. So anyway, there's that. Uh, but then as I'm reading the Bhagavad Gita, the connection is there. Like, all of a sudden, okay. The speech pattern, the the beauty, the sublimity, the divinity, all of these sorts of things. I mean, miraculously recorded, you know, thankfully recorded in our Bhagavad Gita here today. But uh, for me, it was uh, it was an experience of a lifetime. And so now I can reflect back on scriptures like this and get a taste of what was being said to me uh, or something. That made me a believer. So anyway, I promised you something paradigm shifting, changing. I think I delivered. Hopefully I delivered. Probably not because I've been uh, bloviating and going back and forth quite a bit. Uh, but he says here is, Thus far I speak to thee as far as Sankhya, unspiritually. Hear now the deeper teaching of the yoga, which holding, understanding, thou shalt burst thy karma banda. The bondage of wrought deeds. You're gonna if you can comprehend this, if you can live this truth, you can end your karma. Don't forget, Jesus came 
to take on the consequence of our sin, which would be the consequence of our karma. But we also need to remember that God is not mocked, whatsoever a man soweth, that too shall he reap. So even though we are blessed in that however much we sin, God's grace abounds that much more, that still doesn't get us out of the school of uh, the responsibility of transformation. So just because he's not going to send you to hell while you're learning and development doesn't mean you don't need to develop. In fact, faith without works is dead. He who says he believes and does not do the word is a liar. So I think this is an also an issue worth bringing up. That we have both the leeway we need to learn, but we have the responsibility to keep developing. And if you're not developing, it's probably because you're not faithful. And if you don't have the faith, then, of course, you know, the, the promises and, you know, the, the karma-saving actions of, you know, Christ aren't going to help you much. Because those are for believers. But here Krishna's talking about that. He's talking about the ending of your karma, if you uh, can believe on this. And he says, there shall no end be hindered and no heart no hope marred, no loss be feared. Faith, yea, a little faith, shall save thee from the anguish of thy dread. Here, glory of the Kurus, shine one rule, one steadfast rule, while shifting souls have laws, many and hard. Specious, but wrongful deem the speech of those ill-taught ones who extol the letter of their Vedas, saying, This is all we have or need. Being weak at heart, with wants, secrets of heaven, which comes, they say, as fruit of good deeds done. This is going to raise a really important point about the motivation for why we're doing things and what it's going to get you if we're not correctly motivated. Promising men much profit in new births for works of faith and various rites abounding following whereon large merit shall accrue towards wealth and power. Albeit, who wealth and power do most desire, least fixity of soul have such, least hold on heavenly meditation. The more that you want, the least or the less is your hold on heavenly meditation. And then backwards, the more you are meditating on heaven, the lesser are your wants or needs. I know I've been very blessed in my life and various levels uh, as far as the physical things are concerned. But even before that started to really gain a lot of momentum, and I mean, we can all, especially who's born in first world countries at least, we can recognize that we're, we're blessed in the beginning. But even as a, uh, a regular, you know, just run-of-the-mill person that's not enjoying those things, it was because of my focus and spiritual matters that that wasn't, a, uh, that wasn't an issue for me. Like, it didn't make me sad. You know, I felt complete and full. And, uh, and so it wasn't a big deal. But to whom much is given, much is expected. And who is faithful with little will be faithful over much. And so if we improve ourselves wherever we're at, 
and keep our eyes on what's important, the pursuit of spiritual objectives, that in the process we improve ourselves to a place where we can be put in a position to help people and ultimately uh, in, enjoy different aspects of this life. But at no point should we become complacent or believing that uh, that's where satisfaction is to be found. That's why the rich man has as much of a chance of getting into the kingdom of heaven as a camel does through the eye of a needle because he has so many concerns after worldly affairs, after possessions and things of that nature. So it's not a sin to have stuff, but it's definitely it's definitely a drawback if you're weak in your, in your spiritual mindedness. It's definitely a temptation to find comfort and a sense of security in the things that you have. And it can be a hindrance if you're not devoted to the path of uh, righteousness. So, But in and of itself, like Shakespeare said, nothing is evil in and of itself, but it is thinking that makes it so. So your thinking can make a blessing into a curse. Krishna says, much these teach from Vedas, Vedas, the Vedas, uh, scriptures concerning the three qualities, but thou be free of the three qualities, free of the pairs of opposites, and free from that sad righteousness which calculates, self-ruled, Arjuna, simple, satisfied, look like as when a tank pours forth to suit all needs. So do these Brahmins draw. Uh, so do these Brahmins draw text for all wants from tank of holy right. But thou want not. He's telling you don't want. He says, the sheep know my voice. He's like, uh, like Christ says, you know, uh, you know, you'll have, you'll have peace and, and you're not going to want. Okay. The, the scripture's not coming to me. But you know what I'm talking about. But he's telling you that don't even want so that you have to go to the scriptures to figure out how to get. Okay. Because that's what the teachers over there are teaching. Oh, you have wants? Well, just think these thoughts and you'll get that. And we've talked about that. There is definitely a cause and effect between the two. But what's most superior is not even wanting. He says, but thou want not, ask not. Find full reward of doing right in right. Let right deeds be thy motive, not the fruit which comes from them. This is really important. You're doing a task. The objective and the intent should be to do that task holily. Not that you should have in your mind a good intention and that merely be the fruit of your thought life. Let the act be the intent of your heart to do it holily. The act in and of itself. That's profound. It's a little bit different than we're used to hearing. Because we're used to hearing that good deeds will be the fruit of a good inner life. Well, yeah. You know, you'll want to do, but you should make sure that your intent is the deed itself. And the quality of it. If that makes any sense. It does to me when I read this. So maybe I, I don't want to convolute that. And he said, and live in action. Labor. Make thine acts. Thy piety. Casting off self aside condemning gain and merit equable in good and evil equability is yoke is piety he said yet the right act is less far less than the right thinking mind seek refuge in thy soul have there thy heaven 
Scorn them that follow virtue for her gifts. Mm. Scorn them that follow virtue for her gifts. Are you doing the right thing so that you get good stuff back? I mean, it's cause and effect. You do right, good comes, but is that your motivation? Are you thinking right thoughts so that you can get right good stuff? Let's, let's consider that. The mind of pure devotion, even here, casts equally aside good deeds and bad, passing above them unto pure devotion. Devote thyself with perfect meditation comes perfect act and the right-hearted rise. More certainly because they seek no gain. Forth from the bands of body, step by step, to highest seats of bliss. And I felt like it contradicted what I just said, where it says, with perfect meditation comes perfect act. But over here before that, it says, but thou want not ask not, find full reward in doing right in right. Let right deeds be thy motive, not the fruit which comes from them. So when we're in the right state of mind, we'll naturally want to do things, but let's let that be the fruit, not looking for reward off of that. So while you're doing it, make it your focus to do it right. But as you're in a meditative spiritual mind, it's, that will come easy, obviously. All right. Anyway, I'm not going to read this whole book to you. I know you're sitting there squirming, fearing the whole book is about to be read. Perhaps you've already decided that I have read the full book, but I haven't. It's small, but it's not the full book. All right, let's get down to the, uh, the whipped cream here. And that's the tactical method of meditation that I'm going to offer. If you're trying to go into an interdimensional state... I'm going to use, uh, I'm going to tell you how to do it. First things first, you got to remember everything in this physical world is a byproduct or is a projection out from the spiritual. So we like to see that what's in the physical, we look at it as separate. It is, it, it, the, the reality transcends this. This is temporal because it fades and rots away. This isn't real in that sense. But it is, in fact, a byproduct, not unlike the shell is for the, the snail that creates his own shell. Okay, he takes the minerals and he starts to form a hard exoskeleton and then, and then he leaves that behind and then there it's there. But you can crush that shell. Okay, so even though that shell's there, it's not there permanently. But that doesn't mean that it's not of the spirit. And doesn't mean they can't take you back to spirit. So I'm saying all that because I'm going to give you the meditation right now. You need to remember that the importance of using an object or the benefit of using an object rather is that it takes you back to what's actually making it live for you at this moment. So take a flower. Ideally, you have a flower with petals. Now you could use a flower without petals. You could use an object without anything, but we're going to, for the easiest sake, and real quick, I'm going to relate that whole story with uh, Buddha sitting under the tree with his disciples and the, the rose that was held up. And then they all stared and meditated at it. And at the end, the Buddha and the one other disciple look at each other and smile knowingly because they seen something 
in the flower the others didn't. They went into another dimension. This is uh, an experience that you can have. I've had this experience. You can have this experience. I'm going to tell you how to do it right now. It may take a little bit of practice. I don't know how many years of meditation, how much study of different types you've had and different types of meditation. The more, the better. It's, you know, because there are hurdles that you have to overcome. And, uh, and the more methods you can kind of use to get your brain into the state of mind that it needs to be in, the better. What's that state of mind? It's stillness. It's silence. The issue with all this is that there are multiple steps or advisements to getting into the state of mind that need to be practiced or implemented and at the same time forgotten and not thought of it at all. So they need to point you toward what you need to do. You need to figure out how that feels to do this, to do that. And then you need to cast away those instructions and just put yourself in those configurations that these words are trying to help you conform yourself to. That's one big key right there. Moonlight is another key. Seeing a little bit of moon, that's a little short, called a shortcut, but that is something that, I, in order to visualize, as Steiner says, we need to see or feel the feelings that we feel when we watch the moon come up over the horizon when we're looking at something dying or passing away. And he also says that when we're looking at something that's growing or blossoming, we need to feel the feelings that we feel when we're watching the sun come up over the horizon. Okay, so I'm looking at a plant, it's older, I'm thinking, let's just do the moonlight. That'll be safer, because it doesn't seem as though it's as new as blossoming. And you never know when something is at middle age, you know. So then I decide, okay, to get the moonlight, since I don't really know, I can't really feel or think what moonlight is right now, or feel the feelings that I feel when I see moonlight, how about I just visualize a little moon that way as I'm visualizing it right on top of the flower, just a tiny little moon in my little mind's eye. I'm going to see that moon, and that should re-stimulate. I'm going to have the feelings that I feel when I see it present because there it is so let's see what i feel second big one next you need to have no thought or brace yourself this is a big one if you can't have a complete non-thought you can have thoughts pertaining to what you're uh looking at from its perspective so this is a selfless uh perspective so we're looking at the flower and we're thinking thoughts of the flower from the flower's perspective now, ideally you're suspending your thoughts you're suspending them. And I kind of think of them as like, okay, here's my thought, and it's being suspended on all sides by one little string. So that way, no thought can really get to it. It doesn't, it's not standing on a premise. It's not hanging, you know, you know, right on a premise. It's suspended in non-thought. And that visualization helped me. So now we take the plant, we're peering at it, we're gazing at it. We stilling our mind in our thoughts to have no reaction. Now, once you break through on this with this kind of method of thinking thoughts from the plant's perspective, uh, and you break over, you won't have to do these methods anymore. This is just initially, so you get to the place and you can just re-click yourself over to it whenever. And then, so we're peering at it. And we're sending love back and forth. This is another important key, a love relationship with the plant life. Plants come out of the ethereal realm. This is out of the lunar space. This is where the astral body comes from. This is the desire realm. 
So this is where animals come out of also, animal spirits, which are manifested by the power of Araman, which is the satanic element that is necessary in this world, just like the Luciferian, which the Christ is the middle pillar of, separating the Luciferian ego from the satanic uh, materiality. And so we're going to forget all that. We're just going to focus on love of the plant. Stillness of mind and spirit. If there's any thoughts that come, let them be about the plant from the plant's perspective. We're going to see a little moon right there in the middle to re-stimulate the feelings that we feel when we watch the moon come up over the sunrise, which is actually going to move us into the spectrum of moonlight. Boom. You got it. That's everything. The practice of it is a little bit more difficult. Now, when I did this, I sat there at my desk intending to sit there for 15 hours if I had to straight. I'm not going to get up. I am sick and tired of being sick and tired and not breaking through. And within five minutes, it happened. So another key here is to give yourself all the space you need. Like clear your schedule. Don't try to force this into a small box. A lot, a lot of time, and that'll allow you to come into a, in a relaxed way into that state that you need to be in to get this effect. And then all of a sudden, things are going to start to change. Uh, the plant will begin to glow. The room around it will get dark. The plant may even seem to flow up and down in front of you. Once you get into this deeper state, you'll have to keep refocusing your eyes. Your eyes may want to blink. You want to blink so it'll go back. And you'll have to get back and stay in that frame, that frame of mind. You really have to force yourself in a lot of ways to stay on a point with what you're doing. And then, uh, and if you're doing this with... Uh, and that will be a phenomenon right there. You'll say, oh, man, the room just everything disappeared around the room except the plant, which is glowing. Now it's floating. So you may have to step away and take a breather. That will probably be, at least it was for me, your first breakthrough. And then let's say an hour later or so after you get settled down again, you're, okay, let's do this again. Make sure you're doing it with a plant with petals. I did it with an orchid. Just make sure. The reason why the petals are important is because they're the most ephemeral spiritual part of the plant the stem the leaves they're more dense the petals though they are of a more spiritual essence and that that is the least dense and so it's going to be the easiest bridge over into this other dimension so now we're doing the meditation again again you're going to go right back into the state of mind you just experienced which it's going to be easy because you just you remember what it feels like which is really comforting to know so if you every step you take you'll be able to get right back there because you know what it feels like so you're just Go back into that state of mind. Uh, but you'll want to initially, especially initially, uh, re-talk yourself through the steps. Check off the list to make sure you're going to, okay? Uh, but getting that state of mind is easier. And then when you do it, the plant, the flower will glow. It's bright as the sun. The room will get dark. It'll appear to flow. This will be a distraction. You'll have to just stay focused, sending love back and forth. And the whole floating plant thing, it's just, you know, Steiner explains that that happens with the objects that the novice sees, and it's the mind doing that. So even though you're looking at its etheric double by the time you're zoned in here, it's and you're, it appears to be moving and literally up and down, which, you know, uh, things still seem to do that for me uh, even today. Uh, that part isn't real. And then... Let it get so bright. It's going to just keep sending love back and forth and, and keep concentrating on the, on the petal and the brightness and the focus and the stillness of the, 
with the moonlight there and with the thoughts from the plant's perspective and the love and the stillness and the thoughtlessness and it will explode into your you into another world okay so basically that's it a lot of build up just to explain the implementation it's like a recipe here's two large paragraphs of what you need what you got to do and the little one boom throw it together and it happens 80 percent preparation 20 percent or less of activation okay so good we got you interdimensional uh like i said it takes a little practice but once you do that now in my personal experience after i was able to do that i uh ref i did it again in the dark on another plant and so, uh, so well, first let me tell you, when I blasted over, I was confronted by a being in the lowest rung of heaven, according to Steiner's, uh, the lowest rung of Devakon or, or heaven. And the being, a plant being, he calls the offspring of the third higher hierarchy, which if you read his writings of anthroposophy, he discusses the angelic, archai, archangeloi, and we've got the different uh, realms of uh, angelic being and, and spiritual offsprings. And so the uh, plant nature spirits that rule over each of the plant species is the offsprings of these higher angelic forms. And they, these nature spirits, are what project out and lord over these plants in our physical world. And so you'll be confronted by that being. Now, mine was uh, an orchid. And in that case, uh, the f being was humanoid, two arms, two legs, standing there. And in one suit, one skin, okay, of white with pink splotches all over it, which is the color of the petals of the orchid that I was meditating on. So it was an orchid. It was white with pink all over it. And that's where the guy. And the major distinctive thing is that he had a head like Gumby, you know. It was up and then it slanted down up on one angle and then a slant down it was like fit like that that was a distinctive thing he was in bliss he didn't say anything he smiled the spirit came out of him the light was blasting out from around him and i was in bliss just sitting there i you know just in this realm i felt so much heavenly bliss and it was coming out of him and steiner explains also in the world that he's actually in even though you're seeing him in this intermediate uh space and so and then coming out of that of course one of the most profound experiences of one's life. And then I did it again in the dark on a different plant. And uh, after the lights had gone out for the night and there was a purple cloud hovering. So I pointed my vision in the direction of where a plant was. And, uh, and then I became aware of a purple glittering cloud over, uh, standing over, if you will, where that plant was. Glittering with something flipping like this, almost in two parts, shifting and snapping back and forth. Again, this is a purple, etheric, it was right over, it's glitter, like the real life glitter sh shimmering in it. And then I was like, wow, my third major breakthrough of the day. And then I said, well, what if I hold my vision in the state of mind, so I'm seeing through the spectrum of light, and I just shift my vision into this dark hallway I have here. And that is when I became aware of spiritual beings walking around, floating around, wafting about, if you will, uh, creatures on the floor and outlined in yeah, neon colors and, and things like that with, you know, real shapes and forms, uh, other beings and forms. And now this is a daily experience. We're four years in. Last night was a hard night. I was, I, you know, I was being attacked by beings last night. Uh, 
but you get to a place of stillness where, A, there's a few things you realize that their actions correlate a lot with your own thoughts. So Steiner would later on, I would read, he would describe, okay, the plant spirit that I saw that I did not hear about. He would go on to describe the purple cloud which pulls up and nourishes a plant which I did not know about. And then he talked about these beings that will appear to attack you. They're little marsupial beings, whatever. They're attacking they're your own desires. They're the desires. So when you crave something in this world, everything's opposite in that world. Reading is backward, this whole thing. And so what you will crave in this world actually attacks you in that world. And so that's a little thing, jump up and little rodent thing, and poof, or beings that will come over and just like walk and sit by me. And like they'll come over into me and, and now, yeah, that happens and I just feel so cold and, and I don't react anymore. I don't have feelings about it anymore. It's, uh, I mean, I have feelings about it, obviously. Um, it's intense, but the, the fear factor is gone. Uh, and it's really, even when I'm confronting all manner of beings, it's a matter of uh, uh, being calm and just accepting, you know, like, okay, you know, fear is the only thing that can really make this worse for yourself. Otherwise, as far as everything that's happening, I mean, it's a pretty blessed state. There's a lot of beautiful things you see, a lot of holy spiritual beings. But, of course, you've got good and bad, uh, you know, beings there just like you do here. But just because you walk, a bad person walks by you here, you don't necessarily, ah, react to them and get all weird. Some people do, and they make life hard on themselves. But just like you need to have a balanced mind here, gotta have it there things are happening beautiful things also though so i don't i don't know how to put that but this is not for uh somebody who's gonna go see things that they didn't believe were could exist and they're gonna go running out with the hair on fire okay if you don't want to literally move into spiritual realities this is not a joke you're not i'm not kidding like you know and I'm glad to be able to say that. I feel so blessed because when I was searching this out, that's what I wanted. Of course, I had the experiences, so I knew, but they came about through outside of me, through ways I couldn't control or other ways, but they weren't through meditation, okay? And that's what I really wanted. And I'll tell you later on a method of how I visualize this experience coming into my life. Because you do need to do what you got and can do to make this happen because it's not easy uh, initially. Um... So anyway, let me go on and tell you that then. So before this happened, I had, before bed one night, I decided that I, I want to have these spiritual experiences. And I was praying as usual. God, please, you know, help me attain the kingdom of heaven. I've been carrying this card around for three years now. So it's a 16, 17, 18, 19. I keep changing the date. So I'm so happy and grateful now that I've attained the kingdom of heaven. And that's kind of my focus. But I said, uh, just like I've, you know, manifested using like the secret and things like that and law of attraction, all sorts of different things, which are material, I need to make sure my things that I'm trying to get in life, you know, are spiritual. Like that's really where my heart has been needing and needed to be the whole time. And God says, you know, don't covet, but covet the gifts of the spirit. Don't, uh, don't be a glutton, but be a glutton of the word. Okay. So, you know, the gifts of the spirit, you know, the spiritual experience is seek ye first. Number one, the kingdom of God, not a dream. It's inside of you and it's outside of you. It's not in the sky or the birds would precede you. It's not down in the ocean or the fish would precede you, the scriptures say. It's inside of you. And don't wait until you die to go. Enter into it now. Seek for it now. 
with all that said, for anybody who's skeptic, thinking, ah, you shouldn't be trying to do this, you shouldn't be trying to develop yourself, you shouldn't be trying to use your human intellectuality to polish yourself off, this is why we've been brought to the state by nature. We've been given the faculties, we've been given the mental capacities to do just what we're doing. If you neglect that responsibility, you know, what, what should we do if we neglect so great a salvation as this? S work out your salvation if you're in trembling for yourself, Okay. You're supposed to work it out yourself. So yeah, you do need to be searching this out. You do need to be finding uh, ways to develop yourself. And yeah, that does lead people into realms of the esoteric and the occult and things like that. That is not to say we're talking about the wicked side. Uh, there is a dark occult where people do evil things. Okay. But unfortunately, I think the devil has been using that as a cover to scare off uh, spiritual people from getting the real spiritual hidden information. That's all the word means is hidden. And yeah, there's spiritual wickedness in high places, and, and you know people can misuse all kinds of information for in wicked ways, and people do misuse, you know, the esoteric occult information, spiritual uh, for wicked ways. People want to get into this, and they want to divorce the Christ out of the whole thing. People want to say, oh, well, I'm just gonna, I don't need the Christianity, I don't need the church, and all this because you know I have the occult teachings and this and that, huh? Christ is the middle pillar of all of that. It's a higher teaching for sure. And it's not in these ideas of, of Lucifer and Armand. They don't come to somebody easily. Like I had to really like swallow a lot of my own preconceptions because it's exactly the opposite. You know, so many things I've been taught because the people who've been teaching this stuff maybe don't even realize that they're passing on, you know, doctrines of devils, making people think in this in this materialistic form of Christianity. They're waiting for the physical appearance of Christ when we're supposed to be working our way into the spirit world. And people want all of this to happen in the physical plane. They're not reaching God. They want God to reach down to them. God to continue to condescend to them instead of aspire upward to where God's called them. So spiritual development requires that you get information that is not A in the public eye readily. Because if it was, then everybody at all the churches would be having real-life experiences. Instead, every, most people go to church. They remain relatively unchanged. They go home, and they stay the same. They go to church. They do it for 50 years, 60, 100 years, however long they live. And they may or may not have a spiritual experience, let alone live in a spiritual dimension to any degree or develop any sort of interdimensional states. And, and instead, the people at the pulpit are saying things like, well, that's the work of the devil. Now you don't want to go messing with all that, and it's true. You, you know, it's not that's not true necessarily, but there are you know dangers if you want to just play with this stuff. This isn't playtime, but if you're looking for spiritual solutions to moving in that direction, and you your heart's right, and you're doing what you're supposed to do from the teachings in terms of, you know, making provisions, spiritual provisions to do, you know, handling everything rightly and making sure your heart's in the right place, you'll be fine. As long as your intentions are, are pure and you're using the information that you got. But whoever puts their hand to the plow and looks back is not worthy of the kingdom of heaven. And once you put your hand to the plow and you start going and you start to see things that you've never seen before. And you decide to go and run and say, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. Is devil and this, that. You've gone back. You know, you're not worthy of it. You're seeing more and more. So, you know, don't betray the trust and, and, the, you know, and the faith that's been given to you to bestow it to you as you developed by running and hiding. Because I've also heard stories about 
well, you know, yeah, you know, you encounter things that can be scary and stuff, but you need to keep proceeding in your development. You need to rise to the occasion. Uh, but, of course, one needs to be very careful, too, because, yeah, you could come into trouble. But this is not what I'm talking about, staying focused on Christ, the kingdom of heaven. In your readings, you'll find many Christian esotericists. Uh, and I've landed in Anthroposophy, which is Rudolf Steiner, uh, his school of thought, which is a basically a, a Christian theosophy. This is a study of basically comparative religion from an esoteric occult perspective. It deals with the development of mankind through different epochs, and it deals with, uh, you know, the raising of your consciousness through the development of, of clairvoyance, and uh, and it really comes down to the development of your heart and learning the ways of, of Christ and learning to get rid of prejudices and learning to uh, correct yourself morally. Steiner says, you, for every step forward, you're going to take an esoteric development. You need to take three steps forward in your moral development. And so, you know, you'll have a breakthrough and a breakthrough, and it'll slow down for a while. And you may still be in some phase of spiritual development, but it may be a minute before another phase or another dimension of certain spiritual beings or whatever start to make themselves viewable to you. Maybe a, a, a year or something, and then another thing happens, and you're developing and experiencing these things and developing, and all of a sudden another little phenomenon starts to make itself known. And, and your picture is changing from day one. So you got as you're developing your character, you'll be able to go a bit deeper and deeper and deeper. So don't give up on the fight. This has been Spiritual Realities with Robert Wallace. I'm going to see you again in the future. I appreciate your time. Uh, visit us at spiritualrealities.net if you're not already there. Uh, please uh, you know, donate, sponsor the show uh, through our Patreon. Uh, if you have any uh, speaking opportunities or something where you need this sort of stuff uh, discussed, contact me. I can help with that. And uh, any uh, interviews or any, anything that you want to talk about, this sort of subject matter, we have it on tap. Okay? All right. Thanks. God bless. Bye.